new COVID data and a new daily record. This is a cautionary tale to us. We need to start paying attention again. High infection rates putting the holidays at risk. Safety in schools. We're really pleased with the ruling. Why teachers are more confident that safety protocols will be followed and the flow of suspicious cash at BC casinos. Nobody wanted to say, don't take the money. Money laundering testimony about red flags that were ignored. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. New COVID-19 modeling data reveals B.C. could be headed for disaster around the holidays if we don't rein in daily infections. The latest case numbers cover the past two days. We have 1,130 new cases, bringing our total to 20,368. Sadly, we've had four more deaths, which means 288 people have now died from the virus in B.C., 155 are in hospital. That's the most we've seen yet. And 44 patients are in the ICU. 14,089 people have recovered, leaving us with 5,793 active cases and more than 11,000 people in isolation. So with COVID case numbers skyrocketing, Dr. Bonnie Henry has released the latest modeling data. And while it isn't a prediction, it is, in her words, a cautionary tale. As Richard Zussman shows us, Dr. Henry hopes it will serve as guidance on what we can all do to save Christmas this year. COVID surge. We need to take a step back and recognize that we are being affected in the same way that people around the globe are being affected. We need to come back to making our wall strong so we can manage and control the spread instead of it controlling us. A huge spike of cases leading to the painting of a grim picture moving forward. If British Columbians don't dramatically change our behavior, there could be more than 1,000 new cases a day of the virus in less than two weeks' time. We're accelerating the numbers of cases in our community, and we're having challenges um, breaking those chains of transmission. This is the main reason why provincial health brought in strict new restrictions in Metro Vancouver, and more could come. All of this putting Christmas gatherings from Santa to shopping to family gatherings at serious risk. There's not going to be a vaccine here that's going to save the day by Christmas. There's no one thing that we can do that's going to make um, this all go away. British Columbia has now passed Ontario for the first time in terms of new cases per capita. And it's stretching our ability to, to cope from a public health perspective. Look at the purple line on the right-hand side. It shows how fast cases of those over the age of 80 are going up, doubling over the last two weeks. Hospitalizations multiplying by nearly five over the last two months. That's too many to have in hospital from COVID-19, and we want to see that number reduced because every one of those persons has a story and people that love them. Henry still grappling with whether the ban on social gatherings in Metro Vancouver will continue past the set date of November 21st. And it may be that there are other scenarios or settings that show as being risky. Um, so there is possibilities that we will need to do more or different things. Meaning what people do today will determine if restrictions continue and whether a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays are even possible. Richard Zuspin, Global News, Victoria.
And Keith Baldry is in Victoria for us as well with more on this. Keith, we've heard a lot about the spread in Fraser Valley. It is serious, particularly mm-hmm. in Surrey. But there's another area in the Metro Van region that's already becoming problematic as well. Yeah, everybody wants to know where COVID is increasingly on a really exact geographical basis. Uh, what came with the modeling today was an update on the map. Uh, the Center for Disease Control keeps showing cases on a not a, a health authority basis, but municipality by municipality. Fraser House, a big region. Uh, so they broke it down today to show just where how COVID grew in October. Take a look at these numbers. Uh, it tells the story. Surrey, by far, the biggest growth in any area in British Columbia, followed by Vancouver, the city of Vancouver with 558. The tri cities area. I think this surprises people. 363 people. Burnaby, a lot of cases in Burnaby as well, and closely followed by Abbotsford. Surrey, very much, though, the leader of COVID cases in the month of October. Uh, but the rest of Fraser Health Authority still uh, in the mix as well. Dr. Bonnie Henry uh, today, again, emphasizing it's the gathering in private homes in Fraser. That has been the problem through uh, the last few weeks, and that's why that has to stop, and that's why that public health order is in place. And right now, a lot of the focus of transmission in our communities, particularly in the Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal Region, is because of our social interactions, whether it's in the community or at our home. And we don't put in place those same measures in our home to keep us safe um, that we do in other settings. Now, one of the more alarming uh, statistics in today's modeling is the fact that we are now doubling our daily case counts every 13 days, which means we've got uh, potentially double, double, and double again before we get to Christmas, which means in Surrey, we could be looking at more than 500 cases a day testing positive in Surrey alone because that's where so much of our COVID is focused on right now. All right, let's hope we can head it off before that happens. Keith, thanks very much for that. In an effort to keep cases to a minimum on Vancouver Island, the chief medical health officer is putting out a plea asking everyone to abide by the rules and avoid any non-essential travel to and from the Lower Mainland. The island's top doctor says a COVID-19 outbreak at Nanaimo General Hospital was likely brought into the facility from Metro Vancouver. Contact tracers believe the cases are linked to one that was community-acquired and brought into the hospital, but not by a patient. Since September, the island has seen 133 cases of the virus. More than 100 can be linked to travel. Staying put will help communities on both sides of the water. If you can avoid traveling to the Lower Mainland, uh, please do so. Uh, It's one of these situations where uh, you are going to a place where COVID is circulating in much higher levels than the island, and what you're really doing is putting yourself at an increased risk. We also want to give the Lower Mainland a chance to get things under control, and having people coming from elsewhere probably is just going to compound the issue. BC Ferry says it will offer refunds to anyone who requests one. The policy will be in place as long as the provincial health order on non-essential travel is in effect. Countrywide, a major surge of cases and day-after-day records have forced some provinces to put in new restrictions. In others, there are growing calls to enact so-called circuit breaker shutdowns. Sarah McDonald reports. The COVID-19 outlook is becoming increasingly dire across the country, with no province outside of Atlantic Canada unaffected, and some now at a tipping point as hospitals and healthcare systems approach capacity. 
really, I don't think the government has quite grasped the seriousness of where we're at. In Alberta, doctors are sounding the alarm and calling for the closure of all non-essential businesses, a move that province opposes, with the number of daily infections and hospitalizations rising for weeks. More than 5,000 new cases recorded in the past week alone. I think everybody knows what's going to happen within the hospitals. Everyone is scared of what's going to happen. That's the concern in Ontario, too. Healthcare workers there calling for a circuit breaker shutdown, a brief but restrictive form of lockdown. That's putting politicians at odds. There has to be a balance. Priority, number one, on health and safety. But very close beside it is the economy. Premier Doug Ford opposed to restrictions that could devastate the local economy again, with Toronto's mayor taking a different tone. Please stay home as much as you can. If you have any doubt about whether you really need to go somewhere or not, don't go. Stay home. Manitoba, meanwhile, taking strict steps those other provinces won't yet, as communal spread surges out of control. Everybody's tensed up. You know, we all know what's going on. Everybody's still kind of nervous. As of midnight, all non-essential businesses will be forced to close their doors. Those students will stay in school, in person. I lost two jobs yesterday, so that's definitely something that made me feel a little uneasy going forward. But provincial officials there say they must act now to contain the second wave, with COVID-19 creeping its way into two dozen care homes, the province's largest, recording eight resident deaths in just 48 hours over the weekend. Sarah McDonald, Global News. B.C. teachers have raised concerns about safety protocols in schools, especially with case numbers rising. But a recent decision by the Labor Relations Board gives them some hope the situation will improve, even though it stops short of mandating masks in classrooms. Aaron MacArthur has more. For months, BC teachers have been raising issues around unsafe workplace conditions. Those concerns not directly addressed by the Labor Relations Board, but now neutral third-party troubleshooters will be brought in to help navigate the key issues. A solution the BC Teachers Federation says is in line with what they've been asking for. We think it will do what we wanted it to do, which is provide an oversight mechanism and an enforcement mechanism. The LRB ruling doesn't go so far as to address masks in the classroom. The BCTF maintains a universal mask policy is needed and is advising its members to wear masks even though there is no requirement to do so. Teachers across the province are coping the best they can considering the stressful nature of their work environment. They, more than anybody, want our schools open. They want our children in the classroom. The only thing that they ask is that things are safe. The government, in a statement, welcomes the input of the LRB appointees, saying they will help implement best practices. While it's understandable teachers have real anxiety about the school situation, the provincial health officer is confident that the current measures are working. Despite the fact that we've had 261 exposures where there's people, whether it's a student, a staff member, um, an educator, in the school setting, um, that there have been less than a dozen incidences where there's been transmission within the school setting. And we've had one outbreak. The LRB troubleshooters begin November 16th. The process will be reviewed by the board after three months if more recommendations are needed. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A new study is ringing alarm bells about the impact of the pandemic on the mental health of our children. 
The province's children's watchdog and researchers at Simon Fraser University say the B.C. government must make children's mental health a high priority during and after this crisis or, as Nadia Stewart shows us, we'll all deal with the consequences later. We've been saying for a long time that the, there's an inadequate child and youth mental health service system in British Columbia. In an effort to better understand just how the pandemic is affecting the mental health of children and youth, the province's representative for children and youth teamed up with researchers from Simon Fraser University. They looked at previous pandemics. Recall SARS and H1N1. There, there were studies done on the impact on children, um, including children who had to be isolated or quarantined and, and what happened to them. Add to that research on the impact natural disasters have on children, and it paints a troubling picture of how much their mental health requires urgent attention. In looking at those past studies, we were able to put together data really clearly showing that we can expect to see significant increases in certain mental health problems for children. One study involving 369 North American children affected by SARS and H1N1 found 30% exceeded the clinical threshold for post-traumatic stress symptoms, compared to just 1.1% for children who did not have these experiences. About 33% of kids who'd been through quarantine began using mental health services, a much higher number than the 6.8% of children and youth who were not in quarantine. Is it mostly social? Is it mostly psychiatric? Is it uh, functional? In September, Dr. Quinn Doan also set out to better understand the pandemic's impact on kids. While we await those findings, what is already clear is the need for more support, especially since what was there pre-pandemic was inadequate. Children, particularly those of Asian and Indigenous descent facing racism, are being disproportionately affected. Charlesworth says the data will help as she makes the case for more funding and targeted solutions. It's the most wonderful time of the year for the Christmas Bureau. Why it's not too early to give. In fact, it's the right time to give later on the news hour. And a rare bobcat sighting out for a late night stroll. The cat caught on camera coming up. Right now, though, Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart says his city is facing more tough times ahead as it deals with an ever-tightening budget. Ted Chernecki shows us the adjustments the mayor is making to his priorities and what he says about that reported 12% increase in property taxes. Some grim numbers from Mayor Stewart in his annual State of the City address to the Vancouver Board of Trade. From January to June, 8,500 businesses have been lost, and certainly many more since June. Unemployment went from 4% in February to 12% now. And 12% is the property tax increase council says it needs to make up for revenue shortfalls. Do you think it's reasonable that at this time we're asking businesses uh, to increase when we're at a time of pandemic, as you rightly said, where businesses are really suffering and trying to figure out how to get through the crisis and then to recovery? Budgets are always tough. Uh, there's no way we would ever go to uh, 12%. Uh, I've given the, you know, my clear path forward on this is to be below 5%. In his two years in office, property taxes in Vancouver have already gone up 12.5%. I think Vancouverites have lost confidence in our mayor's ability to get our fiscal house in order. Now the province says it can't transfer as much funding to the city as it hoped, leaving the mayor to say he's, quote, gobsmacked 
and now has to find the money from somewhere. So the impact will be simply that we'll be burning through our reserves. Uh, you know, you never want to take money that you have uh, put aside for a rainy day and use it for your regular operating. Um, so that's why I fought so hard for this money. That's why I was very disappointed. Perhaps the beleaguered taxpayer can be forgiven for thinking, maybe we're not all in this together. In the middle of a pandemic, 300 grand for those new chairs, part of a $2.6 million reno on City Hall's second floor, or those merit-based pay hikes for city managers and non-union workers, averaging about 5%, effective October 1st. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Three people have been arrested following a traffic stop that led to a foot chase in Wally. Surrey RCMP say they seized cocaine, meth, heroin and fentanyl, along with more than $2,000 cash after pulling over a car last week. As officers approached, a man took off running across a pedestrian bridge nearby. He was seen throwing a bag into the ravine before trying to hide in a creek. The suspect was caught and arrested with the help of a police dog. Two other people who also jumped out of the vehicle were tracked down and arrested. So far, there have been no charges laid. The BCSPCA says it sees six thoroughbred horses from a property in Mission. The horses were found suffering from malnutrition, dental problems, parasites and skin issues, as well as hoof injuries. They're now undergoing veterinary treatment and are being cared for at a foster home. The owner can appeal to get them back or they could be put up for adoption. Up next, more gripping testimony at the Cullen Commission into money laundering. By late 2010, in the spring, we were starting to see the money really flow in there. How a former investigator's warning went unheeded. Also tonight, a family once terrorized by an intruder is afraid again, saying the courts let them down. Plenty of extra volume here for eastbound traffic on Highway 1 through Vancouver and Burnaby after clearing a much earlier problem near Boundary. Traffic is still slow over the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge from the North Shore. Kermat Collision and Autoglass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac for location information. Visit Kermac.com. I'm sure she was in Global One, Hive of Highway 1 in Burnaby. At the Commission into Money Laundering in B.C. today, more testimony that gambling revenue at the province's casinos was the big priority, never mind that some of the biggest transactions were deeply suspicious. And as John Waugh reports, once again, the Liberal government minister in charge at the time was a prominent part of the story. As bags stuffed with suspected dirty cash were brought into B.C. casinos, the Cullen Commission has heard repeatedly... Many believe they were handcuffed from stopping it without proof it was proceeds of crime. You don't have to do a criminal offense or be able to investigate a criminal offense to be able to take action in relation to an integrity of gaming issue. But Larry Vandergraaff, the Gaming Policy Enforcement Branch's former investigations executive director, not only disagreed, he requested something be done back in 2009. I was very concerned about the money laundering problem. With my background, I saw that and I said, uh-oh. Vandergraaff recommended capping the amount of $20 bills brought in by a patron within a 24-hour period. And a source of funds declaration also be required. If it didn't meet a certain criteria, then you don't take the money. Vandergraaff said those measures did not get support from GPEB's general manager. A move on this that potentially would impact revenue would be a different, difficult move, move to make. And he would have to have the support of the minister on that. Vandergraaff did meet with then-Minister Rich Coleman in 2010. 
raising concerns about casino money laundering using $10,000 bundles in 20s. He says, I know lots of people with $10,000 in their pocket. I said, if it's in $20 bills with elastic bands on both ends, you better check your friends out. Vandergraaff said he told Coleman about capping the suspicious bundles of cash. And while Coleman's associate deputy minister stated something needed to be done, that ministerial directive never came. Money laundering was on the move, and we needed immediate action. That's why I was strongly suggesting limiting the $20 bills in a 24-hour period. Fast forward to 2014. With the BC Lottery Corporation's cash alternative measures not slowing down the flow of suspicious cash, Vandergraaff said he was still pushing the same solutions five years later. You would have driven away um, the big players with that, with that recommendation. Without a clear provincial directive on who should put a stop to it, Vandergraaff said no one did. Everybody would say the police, the police, the police. I'm saying regulation, regulation, regulation. Vandergraaff would be fired from GPEB later that year. He believes it's because he wouldn't stop pushing for anti-laundering measures that could hurt revenue. Nobody wanted to say, don't take the money. John Hua, Global News. A young mother who fought off a violent intruder that wanted to see her baby is terrified the woman is back in her community despite a ruling from the court that banned her. As Jules Knox tells us, that ban was overturned. And now the return of the woman to Osuyas is causing all kinds of fear and anxiety. In August 2018, Sharon Forner donned a wig and yellow gloves and barged into the home of a young mother demanding to see her newborn. The door just swings wide open into my face and this lady's running at me with a, like a butcher knife aimed above, like, above her head, aimed at my face. Catherine Rhinus threw the other woman out of her house and Forner was arrested, later pleading guilty to break and entering while assaulting the victim with a knife. A provincial court judge had banned Sharon Forner from being within 50 kilometers of a Soyuz unless she had the written permission of her probation officer or was accompanied by a peace officer to retrieve her belongings. But the Court of Appeal overturned that banishment, calling the condition unreasonable. It feels like they failed me and my children, 100%. Because if not for me, my kids, let them live comfortably. It's terrifying, and I feel like nobody seems to care. Forner is not allowed to go near Rhinus or her family's home, work, or school, and the appeal court's ruling claims that the non-contact condition adequately provides for the victim's safety. Disgusted. Rhinus doesn't feel the same way and says neighbours have told her Forner has been spotted nearby. The principle of it, that she's back and she's allowed to be here, and she's around children. If she's done this before, she's... I feel like she'll do it again because she did it broad daylight. Rhinus wants to see the banishment reinstated and for probation officers to keep a closer eye on Forner. I don't want to leave my house. I didn't want to send my girls to school because I'm not there. Under her probation conditions, Forner does have to follow a curfew and live at a home approved by the probation officer, although it's not clear where that is. Jules Knox, Global News, Osuyus. Up ahead, the battle in your living room. We're cooped up at home and we want to supersize our home-based entertainment. How video games are becoming the great escape from COVID anxiety. And Canadian singer The Weeknd just got a super gig, even if there won't be a crowd. 
busy but steady here at the Alex Fraser Bridge in both directions tonight. Keep in mind lane closures for overnight maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Need to renew your car insurance? Call BCAA to save, get better coverage, or both. Visit bcaa.com slash icbc. I'm Trish Wilson in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Ottawa is announcing a plan to help Hong Kong residents come to Canada and it's condemning removal of pro-democracy legislators in the legislature there. As proud as we are of our relationship with Hong Kong, we find ourselves at a challenging moment. Immigration Minister Marco Mendocino says new measures will be rolled out to help Hong Kong residents come to Canada, particularly students and recent graduates. No one charged under the widely condemned national security law imposed by Beijing or similar contentious laws will be barred from entering Canada. This comes after the remaining pro-democracy lawmakers in the former British colony prepare to resign over new crackdowns they say could be the death of democracy there. Actions such as these demonstrate a clear disregard for the basic law and are having the consequential effect of eroding human rights in Hong Kong. In this time of trial, Canada will stand in solidarity with the people of Hong Kong. U.S. President Donald Trump continues to challenge the results of the 2020 election, filing more lawsuits in battleground states. The sitting president made his first public appearance since the race was called for Biden during a Veterans Day event on Wednesday, but made no remarks. Trump's legal team continues to pursue unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud in several states, including Georgia. In response, state election officials there plan to recount all the ballots by hand. President-elect Biden currently leads Georgia, uh, or leads the race in Georgia, by over 14,000 votes. Meantime, President-elect Joe Biden has made his first White House appointment, hiring Ron Klain to be his chief of staff. Klain held the same role under Biden at the start of his vice presidency. The 59-year-old also served as President Obama's so-called Ebola czar, overseeing the federal response to the outbreak that began back in 2014. Thanks to COVID-19 and more people being stuck at home, gaming is making a huge comeback. As Global Sean O'Shea reports, sales are up and they could spike over Christmas with the release of two highly anticipated gaming consoles. For video gamers, experts say the battle for the living room is back. This is the machine, the, the device that gamers will be playing for the next six, seven years until there's another round. The pandemic has changed the way people play and gamers are playing more than ever. A lot of people uh, who maybe perhaps were, were video gamers on their phones decided that they were at home and what they really wanted to do was buy a console uh, and play and connect with their friends and, uh, and get online and, and really kind of lose themselves from all the bad news in the, uh, in the media. Video game sales are up 25% from last year. In an industry, that's significant. Gaming accounts for $4.5 billion worth of GDP. The industry is responsible for the equivalent of 48,000 full-time jobs. There are 692 active video game companies in Canada. In this pandemic, an estimated 23 million Canadian gamers are gearing up for the winter ahead playing more and willing to spend more too. We're cooped up at home and we want to supersize our home-based entertainment or we're spending what was supposed to be vacation budget on doubling down on home entertainment. Demand is through the roof for new machines and even ones that are about to be obsolete. 
it's not typical to see massive sales of the you know outgoing generation of consoles uh, right before a new generation starts. But that's what we've seen. Maybe because we're you know with the winter is coming and uh, we're socially distanced for all those reasons. I, I think we've seen a lot of extra excitement this year. Research to be released by the industry next week will show the pandemic hasn't created new legions of gamers, but has driven existing ones to play and spend more than ever. The last eight months have been some of the wildest months with respect to understanding how important our industry and our products are. Demand is so high based on pre-orders, industry experts say it's unlikely you'll find one in stores before Christmas. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. We're coming up to the giving season and BC's pandemic restrictions did not impede an outpouring of generosity for kids in need. That's awesome. Thank you. The Lower Mainland Christmas Bureaus is hosting a two-day drive-through toy drop-off at the PNE, collecting donations of new unwrapped toys. The organization supports more than a thousand families every year, but says with fundraising events scaled back and a surge in need expected because of the pandemic, Christmas 2020 will be more challenging than ever. Everybody deserves something for Christmas, and we just wanted to make sure we did our part to help. The PE and the Greater Vancouver Christmas Bureau need our help, and so we decided to throw a bunch of cars together. The group of trucks behind me all have gifts as well. We all came in from all the road to do this. In a year that we're expecting to have unprecedented demand for our services, these types of events and people stepping forward in our community makes a big difference. The drive-through continues from 6 a.m. until noon tomorrow, and you can also make a donation to the Christmas Bureau online. Check it out if you can. When the pandemic was declared in the spring, there was a dramatic increase in the number of domestic abuse calls. And support groups are noticing another uptick now that we're in the second wave. Catherine Urquhart shows us what to report and how to report it if you see it. And how one support group says so much more needs to be done to stop the violence. As the COVID-19 pandemic advances toward the one-year mark, it continues to leave behind countless victims, among them those dealing with domestic violence. So our calls have spiked again, without a doubt. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, uh, anybody that's living with an abusive partner, for those women that are living with an abusive partner, there is uh, a recognition of the, that increased isolation. Battered Women's Support Services says phone calls to their helpline increased 415% between March and July, when compared to the same period in 2019. Increased restrictions mean many of those suffering are now trapped at home with their abuser. Metro Vancouver Crime Stoppers is now urging you to call them if you know of someone who is facing abuse at home. And if they call Crime Stoppers, they remain anonymous. So if you know someone that you suspect is being abused, do reach out to Crime Stoppers at 1 800 222 tips or on our website, www.solvecrime.ca. What we want to do is to ensure that a community-based response is there to help with a safety plan, help uh, help her decide what options uh, are available that she wants to access, and then to help her access those, uh, those responses. And, and Crime Stoppers is not set up for that. Whether one chooses to contact the Battered Women's Support Services or another agency, help is out there. That message now critical as COVID infections rise and more people suffer from domestic violence. Catherine Urquhart, 
Global News. Still to come, the future of musical entertainment in the COVID era. I'm on stage, the Palomar Supper Club. An experiment in mixed reality that's as good for the entertainer as it is for the audience. And in sports, the Whitecaps wrap up a season that was a lot less than expected. Why they're optimistic about next year. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, check this out. A surveillance camera in Kamloops catches a bobcat strolling through the downtown core. This is the second time in the past few weeks that a wild cat's been spotted in the city. The first time the cat was captured, found to be injured, and is now being treated at the BC Wildlife Park. But at this point, officials plan to leave this one alone. Pretty cool to see it caught on those cameras. All right, pretty exciting news for those who are desperate to hit the slopes with some of that recent snowfall. Christy Gordon has the details for us now. Christy? That's right. Early season snowfall in the local mountains means that Cypress Mountain, Chris, is going to open early. In fact, tomorrow. So all you skiers and snowboarders out there, if you want to hit the slopes tomorrow, you can. But you need to book your tickets online and you can do that on their website. And of course, there are limited tickets nowadays because they can't have as many people on the mountain. Tomorrow will be open from 10 until 3 and it will stay open likely through the weekend each day from 9 until 4. So some great news there. I also had some good news from Grouse Mountain. It sounds like Grinder and Kula has finally cuddled up and decided it's time for hibernation. All right, speaking of hibernation, uh, I think I would like to be doing that. It was cold in Metro Vancouver uh, all the way through the day. Highway forecast is absolutely nuts. So this is tonight through Friday, Kootenai Pass 50 centimeters. The Coquihalla could see up to 35, Sea to Sky up to 20, and these rest up to 15. This is not time to be traveling the mountain passes. Saturday will be far better. Here's a look at the widespread snowfall we're going to see overnight through tomorrow morning. Now for Metro Vancouver, we're just talking about rain. Snow for the local mountains, but snow up towards Whistler and anywhere east of Hope. And that's even for lower elevations. So even as we push through the afternoon hours, a big ease for the south coast region, even some potential breaks of blue sky, but it continues in through those eastern sections. So this is how much snow you could see even for lower elevations across the southern BC area. So northern BC, not too bad. A few showers or flurries, some breaks of blue sky. This is mainly a southern BC event as the snow pushes across tonight and through the day tomorrow. You'll note a couple of areas will warm up to above zero, so it'll transition to rain. South Coast, yes, we have the possibility of some breaks of blue sky tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be windy tonight and tomorrow morning, though. Not too bad on Saturday. Some sunshine, especially in the morning, but certainly not a long stretch of sunshine on the way. So I thought I would look back at the sunshine we had this past weekend. Our central windows window, weather window. Thank you so much to Adeline for that one from Jericho Beach. Brilliant spot near the duck pond there, if I'm not mistaken. Very cool. Thanks, Christy. Is that rain I'm hearing in your neighborhood? It's, yeah. it's pounding down there. Yeah, All right. pouring. As yeah. pouring. Uh, good news for higher elevations, I guess, that want to get some snow. Thank you very much. All right, uh, let's talk about that Super Bowl 55 halftime show. It's going to feature one of the biggest musical acts in the world right now, and we can proudly say he's Canadian. I can feel my face when I'm with you. That's right, we can confirm the weekend. Said it on Twitter this morning. He will be performing at halftime. He's won three Grammys and nine Juno Awards, and he's only the second Canadian to ever take the iconic stage. 
Shania Twain performed the Super Bowl halftime show in 2003. Super Bowl 55 takes place February 7th in Tampa Bay. All right, I wanted to go back to Christy for a second, because is it your lights or your neighbor's lights that make it look like Christmas behind you? <laughs> we actually have a few neighbors that have lights up. Next door here, these little odd-looking yeah. lights are ours. Yes, we have a ch we're challenged when it comes to putting up lights, but we even have some <laughs> neighbors cool. here. I'll have to just point it out. Look, we've got neighbors across the way that even have some lights up. We're not it's the great. only ones. Tis the season. Time to tis, make it a little cheery around here. That's right. T tis the season. And, of course, when you see Christmas lights, you're always reminded of the Masters Golf Tournament. That's true. There's nothing <laughs> Nothing says Christmas quite like the Masters. It's uh, strange, isn't it? A great start to a new kind of Masters for the old master. He's an old master now. Tiger Woods, actually one of his best starts ever in this tournament, despite uh, coming into this year's event not playing his now best golf. Look forward to that. Also, a local performer goes back in time for a show from the future. The technology that's augmenting the experience. Coming up later. All right, let's talk golf now that the snow is flying and ski season starts tomorrow. <laughs> well, we had hockey in the summer. So <laughs> True. Why not? Uh, a November Masters meant soft greens and a weather delay in round one. But because of the conditions, there were some low scores in the opening round as uh, players could go after the pins without fear of the uh, greens, which are usually like marble tables. But the weather delay means not everyone got to finish the first round before darkness fell. One guy who did finish, though, was the defending champion, Tiger Woods, who played his first bogey-free round, opening round, I should say, at the Masters ever. Let's uh, check out Tiger. He knows this course well. Nearly aces this one, the 16th. He's made so many great shots on this hole over the years. Rolling a birdie here in on the first hole. So minus four, that ties his best ever start at the Masters. Bryson DeChambeau, the guy who was getting all the uh, pub before the first round, struggling here in the trees and to the bush. Still minus two, though, which actually wasn't bad, considering uh, all he was doing wrong. Rory McIlroy, this is right over the green. Also not having a great day, but even par after nine holes. How about Bernhard Longer? 63 years old, he'll finish up his first round tomorrow morning, and he'll do it at three under par after ten holes. He's like a modern-day Gary player. He never seems to age. Justin Thomas also has holes to finish, and when he does finish, he might be the leader after round one. He's five under through ten. The leader in the clubhouse is Paul Casey. Thump this nine iron. Back to the sixteenth. And this is a nice shot. See how the uh, divot left right there by the ball that shows you how soft the greens are. So let's take a look at the leaderboard because, as we said, there are about forty plus players still to finish round number one. Nick Taylor's one of them. Uh, Mike Weir had a good start. Adam Hadwin plus two. Corey Connors also plus two. Well, the Whitecaps season was like National Lampoon's vacation, except with a pandemic. Since they played most of their games away from home, it seemed unfair at the end of the season to harshly judge head coach Mark DeSantos on the fact they did not make the playoffs. So they're not going to do that. The final judgment has not come down into DeSantos. Axel Schuster, his boss, says DeSantos will get another chance. And uh, so, yes, of course, he will come back. 
Mark DeSantos can rest easy. He will be back for a third season with the Whitecaps. Even though Vancouver missed the playoffs again, it's hard to blame the coach in such a bizarre season where they played just four of 23 games at home because of COVID. Many were calling for the coach to be fired, but DeSantos says one of his best decisions this year was to get off social media. I don't need thumbs up of people that I don't know. I don't need uh, validation from outside sources. I have to be validated by the people that I work with every day and see my work every day. So I don't have to to be concerned with these things. We are totally aligned and on the same page that, that this journey goes on, that we are going still in the right direction, that we will make the next steps next, next year. Gutierrez, he could serve up a decent ball. There's a chance it in, and it's Lucas Cavallini. With the Whitecaps feel they do have a solid core of returning players. Now it's a matter of improving the talent pool, especially up front, where the Caps scored just 27 goals in 23 games, the second lowest offensive output in the Western Conference. Difference makers, got players that attack the goal or can, uh, can assist, um, and provide service to, to our uh, offensive players. The Whitecaps feel they will improve next year and they will make the playoffs, but there's still so much uncertainty about next season. No start date has been announced, and there's no way of knowing if the Caps will be able to play their home games at BC Place. They very well could at least start the season like they ended this one using Portland as a home base. Obviously, the mental side of it, being away from families, being away from home is difficult. But again, I don't want to play that card. I don't want any sympathy from you guys because at the end of the day, we're doing what we love. We'll each make the sacrifice we have to um, and make sure the the league goes on, games continue. Um, but fingers crossed, everything can start to return to normal. Ah, to Sofia we go. We're a Vashik Pospisil. Our own Vashik Pospisil taking on John Millman in the quarterfinals at the Sofia Open. And Pospisil won the first set 6-3. Well, he's finding he's got some game in the second set too. This is nice down the line. So he's yeah. going to the, cool. the semifinals against uh, Richard Gasquet well, to tomorrow. Freddie Freeman, Jose Abreu, National League MVP, American League MVP for 2020 in baseball. There you go. All right, thanks very much, Squire. When we come back, a concert at the Palomar Supper Club, which hasn't existed for 65 years. How they're going to pull it off next. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC, Energy at Work. Virtual concerts have become commonplace during the pandemic, but a Vancouver jazz singer is taking it to the next level. She'll be performing later this month at a legendary nightclub that hasn't existed for 65 years. Linda Aylesworth shows us how. This is our virtual recreation of the Palomar. Recreation, because the Palomar, Vancouver's premier supper club in the 30s, 40s, and early 50s, is long gone. All of sort of the, the big famous jazz acts of the, of the day came through there. You had Louis Armstrong and Billie Holiday. If you're kind of lonely. The Palomar was the kind of place you went to celebrate special occasions, like your birthday. My mother celebrated her 20th birthday there. If you want to look to Mary's avatar, 
you're going to look over your left shoulder. Enter Vancouver singer-songwriter Jill Barber, who had a vision of creating a mixed-reality virtual concert set perhaps in 1930s Paris. But then we got the idea that it would be cooler to actually give the nightclub a sense of place and a sense of history. And that's when the idea of the Palomar came into play. This is where Jill will be singing against the green scene so we can then mask her out. While Jill will be 100% real, the dancers in the band will be phantoms suited up in motion capture suits. We've tried to create avatars for them, you know, sort of their digital doubles that do look like the performers and then have dressed them in outfits of the period. 50 motion capture cameras set up around the Animatrix Film Design Studio in Burnaby will make it happen. So this is Mary. She looks fantastic. COVID has forced us all to become really creative when it comes to connecting, uh, presenting shows, music. The virtual, live and interactive performance takes place November 20th online. For tickets, check out jillbarber.com. So it's really important to me to do something totally different from what we've been seeing and make it really special, really unique, and people can be part of this big event from their own homes. We'll see you at the Palomar. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Break a leg, Jill. Uh, Cool shot of Linda Aylesworth's mom in that uh, report, and her dad also has a certain level of fame, too, as the creator of Hee Haw which uh, is uh, one of those great old comedy shows that people of a certain age will remember. Last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure, wet and windy tonight. We're at wind warning in place for Victoria. Gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour for our region. It should ease by the afternoon, but it'll be a stormy morning. All right, and if you're hitting the slopes tomorrow at Cyprus, good luck. Enjoy it, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.